Podcast One production. Hi, I'm Nat Kringudis. And I'm Cecilia Ramsdale. Welcome to The Wellness Collective, a podcast where we invite you to be part of our wellness community to share, learn and live better. Welcome back to another episode of The Wellness Collective, Cecilia. Hello, Nat Kringudis. You know, in the last maybe... I, I don't know. I don't know whether it's because I've turned 40. Mm. I don't know if something happened with a sun and a moon and something else. I think there was a bit of that that's happened I in the last I don't know, but I tell you, in the last maybe year yeah. for me, and I've watched a lot of, a lot of other people really find it challenging mm. in terms of what's happening for them emotionally. Have you felt this? Have you seen oh, this? Like, is yes, it just a I phenomenon? Have. No, no, I think you're right. I think there is something going on. And maybe it's um, a mixture of things. Maybe there's the whole... Me too. So people have like started yes. thinking about things that have gone on in their past that maybe they just took for granted were things that had just happened and then have reassessed them and gone, hey, hang on, maybe that wasn't right. Yeah. You know, that's happened. There's yes. been the blood moon. So mm. maybe if you're into the whole does the moon affect your mood and everything, that's mm-hmm. happening. I don't know. We could go into the whole astrological part of it. <laughs> but definitely turning 40, I think a lot of people around me that are turning 40, well, are, is it a midlife crisis? I don't know. But I it's think- a reassessment for sure. I do want to, you know, reiterate and start to talk about more about our emotions and Mm. how we deal with them or not deal with them maybe Uh and that being part of the issue. So we should probably just ask our guest to introduce herself. I'm Dr. Joan Rosenberg. I'm from Los Angeles, California. And tell us about what's the title of your book? The book is 90 Seconds to a Life You Love. It's how to master your difficult feelings to have rock solid confidence. I believe is the title in the, in uh, Australia, and in the U.S. it's how to master your difficult feelings to cultivate lasting confidence, resilience, and authenticity. I just love how our brains work differently <laughs> we if we're Australian or American. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, it's so funny though because I spend a lot of time over there and Joan is a dear friend yeah. and I need to change my languaging. I do. No, yeah, well, yeah. it's funny if it's, you walk around going, I am rock solid. No, but if, yeah, so I did I did a, um, <laughs> no, but I did a, an interview and I said something about just rocks up every time yeah. and someone's like, rocks up? And I'm like, yeah, just like arrives. But yeah, I need to be <laughs> a bit more clear because it, things don't just rock up in America. That's Australia that they well, just I rock think, up. Yeah, but you've got right. the cute factor where people are going, I have no idea what you're saying, but gee, I like you anyway. <laughs> anyway, thank you for joining us, Joan, all the way from Los Angeles. I hope it's a nice day there uh, today. Oh, uh, my pleasure. Thank you. Um, no, so, tell us, confidence is something that we seem to have, I don't know, some people seem to have in bucket loads and then there's those of us who seem to just have a little dribble and struggle to find uh, a reason to to get it. What is it about us and confidence? What's happened? You know, it's. I think there's a lot of misunderstanding about confidence and I think people think that they can get it from hanging around people who are confident, that it's, it's, you can get it through osmosis, but you can't. It's an inside-out job. Uh, and and the way I really understand confidence now is that confidence is the deep sense that you can handle the emotional outcome of whatever you face or whatever you pursue. But if you, if you stop and think about it, so those who seem to have oodles of it or to use whatever word you use for it, <laughs> um, is, <laughs> it, it has to do with probably their ability, their capacity to face unpleasant feelings and that they're willing to deal with whatever, again, the emotional outcome is so that they keep going in the face of difficult circumstances 
or they keep going when things don't turn out the way they want. So there's essentially two camps of people, people that can do that and people that can't do that or or maybe don't know oh, well, I wouldn't to? say I wouldn't Yeah, no, I wouldn't say that people that can do it and people that can't do it. I would say people that can do it and people that don't or won't mm. do it. Mm. Okay. And, and, you know, I I spent years trying to solve two big questions. I started out extremely shy, and I like to say exquisitely shy in my life. And so the first question for me, because I didn't feel like I fit in or belonged, it was how come everybody else around me seemed so confident? So how do you develop confidence? And the second question, as I got into the field of psychology, was to understand why it was so difficult for people to experience unpleasant feelings. And as the years progressed, now decades, what I began to understand is that our capacity to handle or to experience and move through unpleasant feelings actually answers the question to confidence. But what about those people that you know, that you've met, who don't seem to process any feelings? They just seem to be <laughs> Teflon-coated and, and nothing seems to, uh, you know, eat into that. Are we dealing with sociopaths and psychopaths in that, that regard or, or do they still, do you, you know the people I'm talking about where you think, how come, where does this come well, from? Well, uh, well, I think there's, again, a couple of ways to look at that. Well, in some cases you might be. <laughs> if people really have no empathy and and really uh, stay entirely distant from, from any of their um, the emotional life that they actually are leading, then yes, maybe we're talking about people more on that end of the spectrum or continuum. But the if we're paying attention to people that are actually trying to shut down on their feelings, which is what most people do, they try to distract or disconnect from what's going on, then it's not a matter of them being unfeeling and sociopathic. Is that they just don't they don't want to experience what feels uncomfortable to them? What are your thoughts on um, this world that we're living in at the moment, where the extrovert seems to be celebrated and the introverted <laughs> personality seems to be uh, you know overlooked? I mean, we're a couple of extroverts. We know that because we did the personality um, assessments <laughs> to tell us, but we probably couldn't have told that anyway. Uh-huh. Uh, but uh-huh. it does seem to be a thing, like you say about shyness, is that people don't really still understand that idea that you might be shy or you might be introverted and that's okay. You just you just present in a different way to people who are extroverted and are all outward bound. Well, I mean, certainly those who are extroverted have a leg up. There's no question about that. Um, and and the, the hard part is that if we're, again, if we lean into all the social media, social media becomes a distraction oftentimes. So it's actually, as opposed to it being something that's a, a total useful activity, it becomes a way to kind of check out mm-hmm. and not be connected to oneself or not be connected to someone else. Because I, I watch people use it when they get distressed, uh, as an example. Um, and what's interesting about the introvert and the shyness piece, and, I, and I, again, because I was so shy, it was like, what was going on for me around that? And, and what dawned on me at some point, and actually I believe it was in my 30s, mm-hmm. that it was that, is that, Shyness, my shyness was probably more about just wanting someone else to be vulnerable first. Oh, okay. So that, so that it makes me wonder then, uh, you know, some people are temperamentally much more introverted, of course, and shy, but it also makes me wonder whether some of the shyness is just a matter of, I want someone else to take the risk to open up before I do. Can we change lines a little bit? Of because course, I'm, follow, I'm following you. <laughs> because I want to, I really want to dig into this idea of of how we're not feeling or we're not 
necessarily wanting to feel our emotions. Mm. It's like I just don't want to deal with that. And I guess there's probably medication right. that, that probably, you know, people might utilise to mm-hmm. help to screen or to cope and that's fine I guess for a, a short period of time. But when we're suppressing emotions long term, Joan, what what's the outcome of that? Is this part of the reason why we're experiencing so much overwhelm, so much anxiety, so much illness? I do, yes, I do. I actually do think that. There's, there's aspects of this that I can't prove and wish I could, but yeah, let me walk you through. It's a great question. Let me walk you through a couple of thoughts on that. When we disconnect or distract or what some might say suppress our feelings, then it leads in my mind most people down, uh, and this is over a long term, it's not short term, uh, so we're talking probably years, um, it leads people down a path of what I call soulful depression. Think of that as kind of someone's disconnected from themselves so that they start to feel kind of empty. They might feel depressed. They might feel numb. They might feel anxious. They might, uh, on the the weight of all that, they might feel more anxious and start to experience bodily symptoms. I have a friend that says what doesn't get emotionalized gets physicalized. Mm. So, so yes, so I see people experience... Uh, a variety of, of things like substance use issue. They have substance use problems. They're anxious. They um, start to experience back aches or stomach aches or a variety of other kinds of illnesses. And largely because they're not really staying well attuned to themselves and, and not exp- they're not expressing themselves. They're trying to shut down on what they're experiencing. And likewise, they're also not expressing it. Do you think we, this is a modern epidemic, though? Like, I think we talk about feeling so much these days, don't we? And we, as women, we've probably always talked about it amongst ourselves, but we expect mm-hmm. so much from the men in our lives as well. But see, men, especially in Australia, I don't know whether in America it's a bit different, but there's still a culture that men don't talk about their feelings that openly. And they're not, you know, they'll get together and they'll have a couple of beers, but they don't get into how they feel about what's going right. on in their life. Right. Um, but I always think back of like to my grandmother's generation, for example, and she lived through the Second World War. Her husband went off to war. She just got on with it. She she worked in the war effort in right. England. You know, so I'm I'm guessing that there wasn't a great deal of sitting around talking about your feelings when all that was going on. Is it something like are we making ourselves sick because we do talk about it too much? Like do we you need to what? just get um, on with it? Well, actually, I would say no. But even though they, the idea was that you kind of carry on, you tough it out, yeah. right? Um, even though that might have been the thinking, they still had community. Yeah. Yes. yes. And so there weren't all these other kinds of distractions that that kept them kept them hiding. They had. They were, they were in smaller smaller groups, smaller units. The family was more intact, and they were tied to a community mm. of people. So, so I really believe the fact that all these social connections were available. You, you didn't necessarily, in quotes, have to talk about it, 
because you were in community and you were being held anyway emotionally. Yeah, mm. I love that. Um, we, right? Yeah, totally. Right? We did When we spoke to Pam Grout, we talked about this, didn't yeah, we? Yeah, we did. And we talked about, um, was it that same episode we talked about the um, burden on a partner nowadays has to kind of Be take everything. on everything that the community once did? So, you know, where your partner, ha- you know, you rely on them for all of that, mm-hmm. which is massive and part of the reason why so many of us might be experiencing issues with relationships of that nature is because of that. The problem being also is that in terms of connection, you're talking about social media connection, right? Well, that. Or, but, but yeah, I mean, that is one thing where, where people say, oh, and even the internet, like you've got, you've got uh, information at, at your fingertips. Right. If you want to connect with a certain group of people, who want to yes. discuss? But you it's know, all very surface, superficial. But maybe type that's, of conversation. that's the problem. Isn't if it? you want it to be, I guess. But I guess when you're with somebody and you're seeing them, text can be taken out of context, right? Yeah, you know, yeah. even if it's a, not a text message, but an email or even a, a direct message, you don't see the emotion in someone's face. You can hide behind it. If you do have a problem, you know, you ask someone, "How are you?" Mm. And they're like, "Yeah, I'm fine." And then you, you know, when they're in front of you, you're like, "No, how?" how are you really? Mm. And they often have that moment where that you can the, see the cracks. Correct. Can't well, see you're the not cracks gonna, in you, a text message. No, that's right. So, mm. you know, how can we hold this space? How can we support people? And how is it important is it that we do when it comes to our emotional well-being? If there are people that are that you're close to in your life, then my encouragement is to have people actually start telling the truth. Like, uh, you know, mm. I'm having a harder time today. Uh, that that and, and you know the, and to your point, these face to face or eye to eye and heart to heart connections are super important for us. Mm. Uh, that you know that helps us feel more emotionally held. It helps us feel more connected and loved, or love as a client of mine likes to say, or loved on. And and so that's that's super important. And uh, and I my like I said, I if. When people are close to you, tell the truth. Let mm. them know. I think I, I don't know if you saw in a recent Facebook post, I decided to be much more open and vulnerable than I. It's not that I'm not that way, but it was like I was aware of, of being feeling emotional need and that doing something alone was it felt what I was trying to wrestle with was bigger than what it felt like I could do by myself. Mm. And and so it was like you know what I'm gonna I talk about emotional strength in the book, and one aspect of emotional strength is kind of the willingness to to lean on others, the openness to do that. And it was like I'm I'm just gonna do that. I'm gonna I'm gonna reach out and just say this is where I am, and um, and can you help? So one part of it was technical, uh, and the or medical, if you will, and the other part of it was really kind of a, an emotional response. And what was the um, response when you did that? Uh, I was well-received on both counts. Mm, I find that too. So people... But you know what's funny is that people often then direct message and go, are you okay? Are you really okay? (laughs) It's like, yeah, I'm just being honest. But it's like this... Yeah, people are not sure how to actually take it. And, you know, I I think the other thing I want to add here too, Nat, is that when we take the lead in being more transparent and being more authentic, mm. it invites the same thing from the people around us. Yeah, if that's we true. Wait, mm, that's really if nice. we wait, then you know, who knows who's going to show up and start mm. that. Mm. But if we take the lead, then we actually model the kind of community we want to build. 
And how did you feel once people had reached out to you? Did you feel like, wow, this is something I should have done years ago? Or what, what was your actual feeling about it? I've always been a giver, so so that was, it was easy. It was uh, it, that was easy for me to respond to. Um, so and you know and and what it does uh, and I talk about this also a little bit in the book that that when we reach out to others, we actually compliment them. Oh yeah, absolutely. I think that's the right? thing. And, yeah. Yep. Because because what we say when I say, "Can you help?" is we're saying. Uh, I value you. I value your opinion. Mm. I respect you, right? And the uh, and the outcome of that is that you end up feeling closer to the person. Yes. There's a there's an increased closeness between the two. Mm. I think it works the other way around too. If someone offers something to you, if they offer yes. to help, if they invite you yes. over, if they ring you yes. for a chat, yep. they are reaching out to you because they want mm. you to be part of their life mm. and especially if right. someone offers to help. Mm. I say people don't offer to help unless they truly want to be part of what you're doing. Mm. So take mm-hmm. them up on it. Yeah, totally. You know? Totally. Say yes. Right. Makes them feel good. Yeah, we're going to take a quick break <laughs> and we'll be back straight after this. On this episode of The Wellness Collective, we're speaking with Dr. Joan Rosenberg, author of 90 Seconds to a Life You Love. I like that title because... uh, That's what I want to ask the question about now. Well, you know, we're all time poor, so let's think about this whole 90 seconds (laughs) idea. But if it's just 90 seconds... Why aren't we doing it all the time? Well, that's right. So I want to ask that question because how did you arrive at that point, Joan, of working out that it just takes 90 seconds if... And I'm assuming that is if we fully embrace a feeling. I'll make the correct attribution here. So... I, so that was, that was tied to my question of what made it so difficult for people to experience and move through unpleasant feelings. And as the neuroscience discoveries came out, starting really in the late 1990s and then now continuing uh, for the past 20 plus years, um, what, there's a couple key pieces of information that started to, to show up. One is that most of us experience our emotional feelings or we come to know our emotional feelings through bodily sensation or through our body first. So, so think of being embarrassed and you can feel the mm. heat in your chest or into your face, right? And if people looking at you would see the redness or you, uh, you feel sad and you feel kind of a, a heaviness at the chest or, or, or any number of other feelings. And it, the key here is that it's also going to be unique to each one of us. It's not going to be exactly the same. Mm-hmm. And, and so, and I, for years, I was telling people to kind of ride the wave of feelings, but it wasn't until the neuroscience came out that I could explain it. And so it, what we're talking about is that when a feeling, and, and this is Dr. Jill Bolte-Taylor's work, and, and so I want to attribute correctly the 90 seconds to her, um, but, I, but my method, if you will, is, is kind of one choice, eight feelings, 90 seconds, and I'll, I'll, I'll do it backwards here. So when a feeling fires off, then what ends up happening is that there's a, a rush of biochemicals into the bloodstream and that rush of biochemicals activate bodily sensations. So think again of the heat or the redness for mm, the embarrassment. Yep. And like in a nanosecond, there's just this, barely any time uh, or it feels like no time at all that you feel the bodily sensation and you sort of name what's going on. And within roughly a, kind of an upper range of 90 seconds, those bio, same biochemicals flush out of the bloodstream. 
Wow. So the time period when a feeling, a given feeling kind of gets triggered is very, very brief. And what I like to say is it's not just one wave of bodily sensations that, that I want you to tolerate. It's one or more 90-second bodily sensation waves. That's the 90-second piece. And then the focus of my work is centered on dealing with eight unpleasant feelings. And, and the, the key here is that we're choosing into, we want to be aware uh, aware of and in touch with as much of our moment-to-moment experience as possible. Being able to experience and move through these eight unpleasant feelings and by understanding that the key thing that we need to do is to be willing to tolerate the bodily sensation that helps us know what we're feeling. That people go, I just want to feel it. And what I realized is it's the bodily sensation we want to avoid. It's not that we don't want to feel the whole range of what we feel. That brings us a greater sense of aliveness. Mm. It's that we don't want to feel the bodily sensation that actually helps us know what we're feeling. Really? I love that you've actually put it into a biological kind of framework because when you are aware of that feelings cause sensation, you do start to notice it more. Um, Nat always laughs at me because I'm obsessed with oxytocin. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> it wouldn't be. <laughs> I, but I love the idea that you can bring on this feeling of happiness and maybe it is only 90 seconds that you get from it by hugging someone you love or even I did it the mm-hmm. other night with the cat. So You hugged the cat. I hugged the cat and it made me feel good because what I yeah, did I is... I had a kid. Uh, well, I, I couldn't sleep. and yes. well, I always have a child in my bed. So. Oh, do you? Oh, that's no good. <laughs> Not by choice, but um, they, they creep in like the cat creeps in. They do. But I, yeah, I couldn't sleep and, um, you know, why is it that everything seems so big yes. and crazy in the middle of the night? 2 is the worst time to solve a problem, but it always seems like the time that you wake up and you're like, mm-hmm. if there is something on your mind... Yeah, that's when it comes. Joan's telling us we have to feel through it. Well, this was the thing. I'm like, how do I get into this situation where I can go back to sleep? Mm -hmm. And the cat was next to me on the bed and I thought instead of getting cross at the cat because Mm -hmm. it's lying on top of me and that's part of the reason I can't sleep, (gasps) I picked it up and I hugged it until I felt happy. Oh, my goodness. And then I put the cat down and I went to sleep. There you go. There you go. So I'm totally on board your idea. Can you tell us about the um, eight unpleasant feelings? Sure. There's sadness, shame, helplessness, anger, vulnerability, embarrassment, disappointment, and frustration. Oh, they all sound fun, don't yeah, they? Yeah, they all sound so delightful. <laughs> yeah, the Can't delight, wait. delightful, right? <laughs> but, but, but here's the, yeah, well, I mean, most people will go, yeah, I'm the only one that I know that gets excited about unpleasant feelings. Mm-hmm. So, oh, yes. Yeah, sure. <laughs> but but the, again, the reason is, is because I know how successful people become or how much better they feel internally or more confident or more at peace or better relationships because they're willing to, to go there. So the, the, And the reason I chose those eight is because they're the most common feeling outcomes of things not turning out the way that we need or the way that we want. Mm. It's yeah. the everyday experience of things not working out. I read something really interesting the other day, um, an article about happiness and gratitude and, you know, how practicing gratitude can can make you just focus on things that are good in your life rather than always mm-hmm. the things that are not. And and I can't remember who the author was, but it was just in the newspaper. Um, and it said, one of the things it said that really stuck with me was that happy feelings are Teflon coated. So they come into your mind and your body and then they're gone. They don't stick with you mm-hmm. the way bad things stick with you. So you don't wake up in the middle of the night, like I was saying, 
thinking about all the amazing things that happened to you this week or mm, the great mm-hmm, conversation you mm-hmm. had with someone or the amazing meal you had or any of those things or that really funny show you watched. You don't wake up with those things. The bad things stick in your mind. They're Velcro and the good things are Teflon. Why and is I'm like, that? I don't know, but it was a really good way of going, okay, so you need to try and get some Velcro on those good things yes. to make them stick. Right, right. So so we the reason we pay attention to, and I think it's Rick Hansen and some others that, talk, that they call this a negativity bias, that, that we actually tend to focus on the negative or we tend to focus on the bad. But the primary reason we do that is for, it's for survival purposes. Yeah, right. All the, all the unpleasantness exists in support of our survival. So, so it's actually not bad or negative. Mm. It's, I mean, when it becomes too consuming, uh, of course, it's, it, it disrupts. But, but on the face of it, if it's occurring kind of uh, quickly and we don't get lost in it, then, then the reason we focus that way and the way it's like Velcro, the reason it's like Velcro is because it's there for our protective purposes. So what we have to do, to again, to what you were saying around gratitude and mm. Teflon, is that we have to, it, we have to really engage in a practice of it so that so that we're repeating the experiences of centering on gratitude or kindness or compassion or generosity or all those kind of really positive things or the time we laughed at the show or the time mm. someone you know did something nice for us that we we actually intentionally spend time doing that so that we it, they, we kind of build, if you will, the the neural grooves or the neural tracks, and and do that just as easily as we might have done the unpleasant. Yeah, it's, so it's, it's, it's like but, training. But it takes, but it takes, yeah, right. But it takes practice. Mm. That's not our default. When we're safe, we focus on the positive. And what I like to say is that when we're not safe, then our energy goes to protection. Mm-hmm. But when we're safe, our emotional energy and other energy goes to connection and creativity. So part of it is we're focused on the positive when we're in the safest states. And then we focus on the negative when for some reason we're alert or feel some sense of danger. Makes sense. There might be a lion lurking around the corner. I think it taps into our monkey brain, doesn't it? <laughs> so Joan, then for those listening who are going, oh, this is all great, but what do I do? Like, How, how do, do we start to get to people to <laughs> lean into the 90 seconds? The, well, the key thing here is is to understand that we're we're talking about a small number of unpleasant feelings that I'm asking people to lean into, and to, uh, to again to understand that that those are the, those are the most common reactions to things not turning out the way you want or the way you need, and that that when you do that, you start to live a life that's actually way more authentic, and you it helps you bring more peace to yourself. And the outcomes from it are are tremendous. It decreases your anxiety. Um, it, it's the thing that underlies people's challenges with speaking up or trusting others, or I could go on and on in terms of the number of things it solves. I, and some people say to me more recently that that by using this approach, they felt liberated. Mm. Well, this is the thing. We just want a tool, don't we? We just want to go, okay, uh, what do I do in this situation? 
I haven't got any sticky tape. I'll hug the cat. You know. <laughs> <laughs> right. There you go. There you go. You need to just have something to deal with in the particular situation you're in, and you do. You feel much less lost at sea in any situation. I think if you feel like you've got the right things around you. So I love this. This is this is like extra things to put in our tool bag. Mm. Thank you so much. You bet. So Joan, um, let everybody know. Obviously, again, where they can access your book. On all the online platforms, it's in brick-and-mortar stores, including the independent bookstores. So it's 90 seconds mm-hmm. to a life you love, but how long will it take to read the book to get to the, <laughs> <laughs> to get to the 90 seconds? Well, if you're, I will confess, it's more, a little bit more of a guide. Uh-huh. So if you, really get, if you really get into doing the number of journal prompts and the number of exercises, then it'll, it'll take, it's, not a, it's not a quick weekend, weekend read from that standpoint. Um, I mean, you, it's it's. I think it's roughly like 270 pages or something. Oh well, it's and, worth. And the if you're listening, if if you're listening to it and you commute, then it's a nine hour. It's there a you nine go. Hour. Oh, that's nine a good hours. way to do that's it. That's a good way to look at it. Um, Dr. Joan Rosenberg, thank you so much for being part of the Wellness Collective and for um, giving us these tools to put in. Like I said, to put in our tool bag, and um, yeah, when you're feeling anger, embarrassment, sadness, um, shame. What were the other ones? Helplessness. You've got a good memory. I wrote them down. Maybe that was pretty good. <laughs> Sadness, shame, helplessness. What people should remember is that all they need to do is to surf the wave. Just ride the wave. Yeah, wedge. I love that. Yeah. Just ride the wave. And don't worry about the red cheeks. You That's know, what we everyone call the gets episode a... no. How to Ride the Wave of Your Emotions. Yeah, I like love that. It. Yeah. There you go. There yeah. You go. Thank you, Jane. You bet. Thanks for having me. Okay, we have to let everybody go. We do, but before we go, oh, it's oh. always you asking to for people to rate us. I've got to say, now, I don't know when you're listening to this podcast. It, it might be, you know, months from when we recorded it, but as we record it, we've got 198 reviews on Apple Podcasts. There we go. Okay. Can you just go and up it to 200? I mean, because I know that's needy. The other thing that's time sensitive is yeah. we are actually finalists for the Australian Podcast Awards. I know. So we might have won or not won by the time <laughs> you hear this. I don't care. Who cares? I, We're finalists. <gasps> that's like winning. I am it? so excited. I spent Sorry. the whole day walking around on Cloud Nine yesterday just because we do this podcast because we love doing it. And to think that other people enjoy the information that we are trying to get out and the, you know, collaboration that we are doing with everybody, not just you and I, that just makes me feel happy. Yes. Mm. Yes, totally. So, so to get well, to well, the reason I'm saying, yes, <laughs> well, but let's have a few more than that ratings by oh. the time they they <laughs> announce the winners. So they're not, well, these are these girls that have got four ratings. No, we've got more than that. We love, Ooh. I love reading them. They make me happy. Yeah. Absolutely. Okay, we need to let everyone go. We do. Hey, thanks for joining us today. And um, look, don't worry about all those emotions no, that you've just avoided. feel it 90 seconds. Feel it 90 seconds. You can move past that. That is like nothing. Half a song, half a pop song. Come on, shake it off. Taylor Swift style. <laughs> Until next time, Nat Kringudis. Cecilia Ramsdale. Thanks. I actually do hope that yes, this episode has left you feeling happier, healthier and better. It has. Thank you. <laughs>